Hello, I'm Frank Kelleher, a paediatric osteopath, and this is the Happy Baby Podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking to Adele Fleming, who is a speech and language therapist. Adele explains how she works with young children and she describes what the normal speech milestones are and what you can do to encourage your child's speech development. This is a fascinating insight into speech and language therapy, and you'd be surprised by the broad spectrum of areas Adele covers. She also explains the difference between speech and language and some of the issues she treats in both of these areas. So let's get started. I'd like to welcome Adele Fleming, our speech and language therapist, and we're delighted to have Adele on the podcast to give us some information about speech and language therapy and how it's beneficial for children. So you're very welcome this morning, Adele. I'll start off by just asking you about how you got into speech and language therapy and where you've worked. So I got into speech therapy a long time ago now at this point. I studied in City University in London in 2002 to 2004. Then I worked in London afterwards in uh, the NHS for a year before moving to um, community services in Dublin. Um, And then following that, I moved to Melbourne in Australia for 10 years and was working initially in Melbourne in uh, education, um, in schools there, and then finally in private practice uh, before I came came back to Ireland three years ago. Very yeah. good, very good. Practice, so you've yeah. moved around, which is great. Yeah, yeah. And did you find that the services are very different in different countries? Um, same but different. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> same but different. Um, different layouts of services for sure. Um, in the UK, I worked in the NHS in a children's network at the time. Um, so it was a multidisciplinary team there. Um, and then I saw a difference as well in Australia, uh, where speech therapists were employed by the Department of Education, and which I think Ireland is slowly moving towards here now. Um, in the future, there's a, um, a pilot scheme happening up the country at the moment, looking at speech therapists actually working in schools uh, with teachers um, uh, much clo- more closely. So um, that would be really good to see that happening a little bit more, rolling out across the country. I think that's the idea in, in a few years' time. Um, Ireland, I suppose, since I've come back, um, it's it's changed in some ways. And, and not so much yeah, yeah. of course. I have a few questions that I'd just like to ask you. I've heard different titles for your profession. Speech therapist, speech and language therapist, speech pathologists. Are they all the same? Or maybe you could explain the difference between them if there's any. Yeah, so they are actually all the same. So they're the same people. Um, I think because we're becoming much more international these days, um, uh, we're using terms sometimes that they might use in the States um, and in Australia and things like that. So speech pathologist is the word that's used um, for speech therapists in the States and in Australia. And uh, here in Ireland and England, we use speech therapist for short. But really, um, the, the long title is speech and language therapist. It's just 
the language encapsulates, I suppose, the, the broader remit uh, for speech therapy. I think sometimes people um, who may not have had interactions with speech therapy might think that it's um, working with just speech. Um, and often when I meet people, sometimes they might say, oh, so you work with lisps? And sometimes, you know, I think that's the, the general perception out there. But actually, it's it's much broader than, than speech. I actually think sometimes we should be called communication therapists rather than yeah, yeah. speech and language therapists, you know. Yeah. It's and very it's, broad, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but we, we, we work on so many different things, you know. And so, you know, we work from... Uh, attention and this thing. Well, this with, with younger with the, the younger population, obviously, and um, it's different as uh, we go across the lifespan into adulthood. Um, but with children, we work with you know attention and listening, and uh, we work with play skills. Um, we work with social skills, language. Yeah. Some listeners might not be completely familiar with the work of a speech and language therapist. So what does the speech and language therapist actually do? We work with, uh, with a broad range of things um, uh, from, it, with communication, when you think about communication, it's not just speaking, it's much more than that, you know. Um, so we're working on things like attention and listening, we're working on play skills, and um, play is um, very linked to speech and language development in children. It's how they understand the world around them. Um, and um, that's linked very much to language in a symbolic way. And so we work with play. It help, we kind of see when um, improvements in play are made, improvements in language and communication follow with that, you know. We work around social skills, um, which would be the understanding of social rules, you know, Greetings, um, the understanding of conversation, the rules of conversation, um, eye contact, turn taking, that over and back that happens in uh, conversation. We work on uh, speech, which is speech sounds and um, also the mechanics around the speech process. So, with speech and language. It's slightly uh, different in our eyes. Some people might lump that together as uh, and might not understand the difference between speech and language. Speech is around the me- mechanisms that are used, you know, the brain, the nerves, uh, the muscles, the breathing that are all coordinated together to produce sound. Um, and then we work on language as well, which is more so around the actual words and how we convey meaning with with words and symbols. So it could be things like vocabulary, grammar, sentence structure, and the use of language in a, in a social context as well. We and we also work on um, voice, and so if people have difficulties um, with with voice producing voice or um, with their voice quality, we can work on that as well. Another area that um, I'm quite familiar with is uh, fluency and oh, right, okay. stuttering. So uh, for, for children who have difficulties with um, being fluent in their speech. Gosh, that's quite a, a broad range, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. many, many aspects to it, really. Yeah. yeah, because what's interesting is when we we often hear you singing with the kids and oh, playing yeah. with them in the room here and... Um, 
recounting rhymes and stuff and that's all part of the process is it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. rhyme is very very important yeah. for children there's so much in nursery rhymes you know for children yeah. um in terms of learning to sequence uh, vocabulary rhythm also the sounds in in rhyme um and and tuning children into uh the sounds in language which is what we call phonological awareness they're there for a reason the nursery rhymes they're kind of a staple that we have and they some might say they're old fashioned but they actually really do have a place in child development in in communication for children and it's interesting how you use the medium of play um to actually work on speech and language development if you like yeah 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 i mean play is very very important you know it's as i was saying earlier it's um how children make sense of the world around yeah. them and um so our approach is very child centered and um it's through play that we enable the child to reach their goals you know and i guess what i do is train parents to play in a particular way that's going to help their communication and to um achieve the goals that we've set out for them in terms of their communication and just leading on from what you've just said there what kind of groups of children would you see these difficulties arise in yeah and um, so there's a broad range again so there's typically developing children might have issues with speech language voice stuttering and then we also have children who might have a developmental delay we might uh, work with children who have autism spectrum disorder chromosomal disorders like down syndrome uh, some children might have kind of craniofacial um disorders like um cleft palate and things like that okay yeah. that's that's helpful and i presume that you would work with children in the school system as well yes yeah very much um so as part of our as part of my assessment uh, when i see a child um it's very much about their the context that they live in that they're in um so looking at their environment around them which is always taking in the home environment and school environment um uh, all children are involved in school in some way uh, so i might do part of my assessment with an observation in a preschool setting or in a school setting as well um get in touch with the teachers there and um, to see how the child is presenting with their communication what are the difficulties they might be having around their communication in that broad sense between attention and play and interaction and social skills and language and use of language their their understanding of language receptive language we call that um their understanding of instructions and then their use of language which is what we call expressive language so i i would get in touch with with schools quite a lot and sometimes you know work with teachers to set uh targets for for children with their learning in particularly supporting iep target setting and things like that right, okay, indica- yeah. individual education plan yeah. okay so it's again you're working in the home environment where you're coaching the parents if you like yeah. but also making sure in the school environment that those supports are there through the the teaching service really yeah, yeah very yeah. good mm-hmm. okay um and i think parents are often focused on whether their child is doing the typical things for their age or not yeah. maybe you could maybe just tell us what to expect in children you know particularly the younger kids really yeah So you know it's amazing I I I just marvel at communication how from the day the child comes out of the womb you know they they're communicating how 
in the first few months, that uh, lovely interaction that children have with their parents, you know, just cooing and and looking at each other's faces and um, and how parents talk to their children at the very beginning is a very important part of communication development. And so from, you know, the age of naught to three months, you know, um, children are kind of cooing and, and, and responding to parents when they speak to them. You know, they'll coo straight away after, after parents speak. From there, you can see um, slowly the child um, begins to engage more in a turn-taking a little non-verbal exchange with their parents with the sounds that are happening. Um, and that is the kind of um, foundation for conversation. That's early conversation. And uh, from there then, you know, we'll see um, from six to 11 months, really, I think, um, you know, they'll be understanding some words at that point. They'll be able to point out maybe their uh, nose or their toes or body parts are often, you know, things that they'll understand or they might find the dog on the book. Um, whereas the the woof woof, you know, and things yeah. like that, uh, they'll be babbling and they'll be playing with sounds at that age, you know. Uh, they'll be saying mam 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 dad dad dad, not so much in a meaningful way when they see their mom or dad, but more in a kind of a playful sound way, um, you know, to babble, I suppose. And that would be around uh, six to eleven months, you know. And um, around the twelve mark, typically you'd see the first first words happening. Um, uh, perhaps now some children um, are can be a bit later than that um, okay. you know so um, that's kind of the, the average average but we often see within the average range you know up to 18 months two years um, would be uh, within the average range sometimes for children's first words what we might see in a typical child um, if they're you know if they're a little bit later with using their first words that they still might be understanding a good few words in general you know and up to just showing us that they that they do understand i suppose you know children then from the age of like 12 to 18 months maybe they'll be um, answering simple questions a little bit non-verbally often maybe they label and name things, name people, name objects around them. And maybe then from about 18 to 24 months, you're seeing, you know, they've a broad vocabulary at this point as well. They, you know, they've about maybe about 50 words. Um, their pronunciation might still be very unclear at that point. And they might be very difficult to understand by unfamiliar people, you know, but mom and dad will often understand what they're saying and they'll understand with context. And they'd be starting to put two words together at that point um, to combine their words, to use more pronouns a little bit. And then in uh, the uh, two to three year olds, we're looking at, you know, the understanding increasing, understanding of concepts, spatial concepts like in and on or pronouns like, you know, um, me and her and you. Um, We'd have maybe descriptive concepts like big, um, little coming in there um we would have you know more sentence structure appearing maybe three words four words in their sentences that expands again then to you know into four-year-olds where we're seeing uh, more complex sentence use then we're seeing um, a lot more understanding of basic concepts like wet and dry and um, full and empty and these concepts and also the 
understanding a little bit more of time, maybe, and using some past tense a little bit there, um, starting to tell a little story and recount events. I suppose by the time the age, uh, by the time a child is five, going to school, that's what we're looking at. That they would be using, um, would be able to tell a, a little story at that point with their expressive language. They would be understanding slightly more complex instructions. Um, and their speech at that point, their speech, um, I kind of, I was talking about language mostly there now in the developmental stages, um, but with speech sounds, there's also a little bit of a developmental um, ladder that children have to climb. Parents, I know, often ask me uh, about what sounds children should be producing at particular ages and things oh, yes, like that. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the first sounds that develop for children um, around the age of uh, one to two is um, the front sounds that you make at the front of your mouth. Okay. They're the ones that are most, most easily seen and imitated. Like I would talk about sounds rather than the letter. Yes. We talk about sounds rather than the name of the letter. So we wouldn't say P or D. We'd say P and D. If you know what I mean, yeah. So um, the sounds that would develop for a two-year-old would be like put for pig, um, b for bottle, m for mom, uh, n for nose, uh, t for teddy, d for dog. Those sounds—they're all the front the sounds front. that are made in the front of the mouth. The front of the mouth, yeah. 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 Um, and then uh, from about two and a half to three and a half years, you see kind of the back sounds—the k for car coming, g for uh, go, um, the th, which is a slightly more intricate uh, sound, you know, with yeah, yeah. The th for, for say frog or finger at the front of your mouth, and um, the th as well, which is for sun, um, y for yogurt and h for hair. Maybe they're kind of those sounds that uh, develop next. And then um, from about three and a half to four and a half, the last sounds that you'll see will be the sh, for shop, ch for chair, um, z for zebra, and u for leg, j for juice, and the v sound as well. Um, and it's not until parents often ask me about um, the or sound and yes. people for children saying walk for rock or wabbit for rabbit, um, and you know should they do some work on that? And I often say. Um, we leave that until a child is about maybe six. Gosh, I yeah. Didn't realize, yeah. The sound doesn't yeah. develop. Yeah. yeah. Um, until then, um, and um, nor does the th. That's you know the last one. Yeah. yeah. It's it's quite the intricate one really to coordinate um, putting your tongue between your teeth, uh, and so that doesn't come until a child is about eight or nine. Gosh. Yeah. And it's so it's just a real sequence, isn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It just shows how intricate the whole mechanism is and it needs to be done in steps, you in know, steps. step by step stages. Yeah. Just, I suppose, are there some tips you would recommend to give to parents if they have some concerns or anything? Yeah. Um, so I would say if parents have. Um, depending obviously what age their child is, you know, if they have concerns that their child isn't meeting the typical stage of development in terms of their speech and language, um, that they can always contact a speech therapist in their area and uh, speak to maybe their public health nurse as well um, about referral to speech therapy too. Okay. 
or to their GP. Um, often the GP will know uh, where to refer them to. And so, yeah, early intervention is, is key, really, um, for anything to do with speech and language. So the earlier um, you get in there, the better. I suppose maybe there's a few things that definitely can be done at home uh, for parents, I suppose, you know, to understand that a child um, learns everything through through play and through interaction. So the more time we can spend interacting with our children, the better to help them with their speech and language. Um, now, sometimes that's difficult in modern life, isn't it? Yes, um, it is. Yeah. It's just about making time where you can, you know. I mean, you have to be reasonable and realistic about how much you're, you can achieve. But So, yeah, I don't like to put too much pressure um, on parents, but I just say where they can to sit down and actually get down on the child's level, sit on the floor with them and, and just get in there and play and yeah. chat about what you're doing. It's really talking about the things that you're doing in the play. You know, I'm making a cup of tea. Do you want some cake or whatever it is? Yeah, you know, very good. Pretend play. Yeah. Nursery rhymes, Frank, already you, you spoke about that. Yeah. They're really, really useful um, for lots of different reasons. Um, and so get in there, get singing, get chatting. Looking at books is also really, really important. And um, The visuals and books are really important. The pictures, talking about the pictures Letting the child, following the child's lead a little bit with that, you know, sometimes we have um, an uh, understanding that, which is also very important for the child to understand, you know, a story and it starts at the beginning and it goes to the end and, and it has a whole kind of narrative. But sometimes for younger children, it's, mo- it's more important actually just for them to leaf through the book and to point at the pictures and talk about what's happening in the pictures. So I often say, take the pressure off the story um, for, for very young kids and just look at the pictures and point at the pictures and just talking about what's happening in them. Um, children need to hear language and they need to hear it um, in a playful, tuned in way. So just sitting face to face with them um, uh, down at their level, following their lead for maybe, you know, uh, 10 minutes a day, um, I think is really helpful. And you can go between different play to things that they like to play with, different toys they like to play with. You know, the cause and effect toys are very good for younger children. Um, so, you know, you push a button and that pops something or, um, you know, you spin a wheel and, uh, and something else happens. Um, you know, shape sorting toys are good at that age. Matching th- matching pictures and things like that for younger children. And the sensory toys are always the really good ones for the younger ones because they're they're learning to develop their their senses at that age. Um, water play, sand play. Great, there's loads. Yeah. We probably get you back to talk I mean, about yeah. yeah, to talk about toys yeah. and the sort of things. We might do that yeah. in another podcast because that, that would be very interesting to go through those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And now, leading on from that, then, what's your view on screen time and oh, iPads? Yeah. It links nicely. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because you've talked about playing and what what what's necessary, really. Yeah. Um, look today it's it's very difficult to escape the screen and the tv isn't it they're everywhere so you know and and parents will often say it's the only time that i get 
you know, when I put them just in front of the television for a while, you know, and I go and do my things or I, I get some time to myself. The research says that children shouldn't really have screen time before the age of two. Okay. There is evidence to say that it affects their attention uh, development. Things t- tend to happen very quickly on, on our screens, on iPads, and things pop up and things change and we move, 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 and we scroll, scroll, scroll. And it's not the best for uh, attention development in children. But in saying that, it's, you know, a little bit every now and again isn't going to harm anybody. And, you know, parents often ask me about that. And I say, look, life has to happen as well. And, you know, sometimes it's it's the um, only time that you get to um, have a bit of new time or whatever, you know, while your little one is sitting down watching TV. That's that's fine too. Just to be wary that they shouldn't have, you know, more than after the age of two, children probably shouldn't have more than um, ten hours a week of, and that's you know any screen time, yeah, including iPad, TV, phones. What I would say is as well, you know, sometimes parents might say um, children are watching educational programs. And things like that, you know, and that's going to be helping for sure. In some ways, it might. But what's going to be more helpful is if you actually sit down with them to do it, to 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 watch the television, and to talk to them about what's happening. Because we just have to remember it's through interaction that we learn our, um, our speech, language, and communication. It's through being with another person and the TV. The people on the TV aren't exactly interacting with. with yeah, of course. Um, so that's one way to kind of help uh, television be of more benefit for little, for little ones. Yeah. No, that's, that's great advice. Um, just another question in terms of, because I would get it when I'm working with, with moms and babies who come in to see me, soothers. Oh, yeah. And yeah. their use or non-use. What's your view on that as a speech and language therapist now? Soothers are very useful to soothe little little infants and babies, um, you know, and I think the research around that um, today says, you know, by the age of 12 months, really, that the soother should be eliminated. It's difficult sometimes yeah. getting rid of the soother. We all know. Yeah, we <laughs> do. We do. Yeah, I, I um, have lots of parents who really struggle with it, you know. Um, and what we kind of say is we're, we're a bit scared as adults we're scared to get rid of the soother <laughs> and yeah. yeah and it's the real power struggle there you know there between is, the yeah. little one and, and us um, and what we say is you'd be surprised sometimes just getting rid of it completely is actually the best thing rather than a gradual el- elimination. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, what yeah. I know, and now you know people will say, "What? No, thank you. I can't <laughs> even face that." But what that does, because sometimes the gradual elimination, if the child knows that it's available, in, yeah, it's available yeah. in the bag, they will have an extreme tantrum, which is even stronger than the ones they used to have before you know yeah. and it's kind of like what previously brought peace is now kind of uh, creating another little uh, monster <laughs> if yeah. you like yeah but so sometimes the idea you'd be surprised if you do go cold turkey yeah and that you know the child after a while will um will be fine will just adapt to that they come and, around yeah yeah now the thing is you have to probably maybe choose a time if you are going to do that um, where, you know, there's ways and means of doing it, I suppose, where, you know, 
you there isn't any big life changes happening or there's no like you know new baby arriving or um where you yourself can feel like you have this time and headspace to yes. to, to support that transition because yes. it is a little transition it is a transition um and there's you know there's things like for older children, if, if, you, if you do choose to do the kind of gradual way, maybe just having it completely out of access during the day and just keeping it for night time. So the child, so there's a, a firm boundary set there. The child understands it's just at night time I'm getting this and it's associated with the night time and that's it. I don't get it during the day. Because after the age of 12 months, what happens is there is evidence to show that it does affect um, speech sound formation. Um, particularly during the day if the, the dummy is in the mouth when the child is um, practicing their babbling and practicing getting their tongue and lips and teeth moving um, for obvious reasons if something's stuck in there it's going, yeah. to, going to block them from doing that um, and from making those really special uh, neural pathways that um, children need to lay down you know, they need repetition uh, over and over again about moving their tongue, lips and teeth in a particular way. And if they can't do that, then they're missing out, you know, on, on that part of development. So, um, and it also maybe kind of affects their dentition later if you've got like extended use of it and it can cause uh, difficulties in that area too. So, yeah, we say if you can if you can get rid of it at 12 months and... Uh, all right, that's, the research, that's yeah. the research base and that's good, great information as ever. I just have sort of one final question about, we have, as you know, Michael Power, who's a clinical audiologist who works there in the clinic. Yeah. And what I want to know is, when would you refer children to Michael to, to, to check their hearing? I suppose any time a child comes in to me with some speech issues, be it um, uh, an articulation issue or a speech sound issue or something, I would always, in my case history with the parents, just check about um, any history of ear infections or coughs or colds or um, upper respiratory tract um, infections that might um, lead to glue ear. I don't know if people know what glue ear is, Frank. Yeah, so glue ear, I would treat glue ear clinically. Glue ear is um, fluid that's housed in the middle ear behind the eardrum and it can be a source of repeated infection. And I would too refer children to Michael Power to clarify whether they indeed have glue ear or not. One of the things that parents will say to me, if it's in an older child, maybe 18, 24 months, is they speak about their speech, that they feel their speech is delayed. Mm. And so therefore there's that connection between glue ear and obviously hearing and they'll often say well he's very close he used to go very close to the tv if he's Mm. listening or there are times if we call him and he's not facing us that he doesn't hear us Mm. so these are sort of clues that you look for when you're taking a case history as you say and it can cause uh, what we call a conductive hearing loss so the sound can't get through to the inner ear so then, yeah, it, it affects the child, and particularly in the developmental, in the, in the early years when a child is developing yeah. speech sounds, if they're not hearing the sounds because of this glue ear, and often the case of glue ear, with glue ear as well, is it can be intermittent, so it comes and goes. You're spot on, yeah, and, absolutely. And so when it's there, they might be um, not hearing at all, and then they're hearing, so it's hard to detect sometimes. Yeah. So we have to kind of watch it. It's a good thing to monitor, isn't it? And to tell parents to, to watch out for it. Very much so. And it is that, that periodic, if you like, 
occurrence really where they can hear very well at times and then they'll get as you said an upper respiratory tract issue and the the glue air returns and then their hearing drops off again so it is about monitoring those processes yeah absolutely Yeah, yeah yeah so yeah and as you said it's very important to just watch out for those little symptoms and signs you know they might be coming up to the tv they might be asking for the volume to be turned yeah. up they themselves might be speaking very loudly as well because they can't hear themselves so they're just making up for that and then if, if a parent tells me about any i'll ask the parent questions around those things yes. in the case history um, and if there's anything that um, indicates you know, some difficulties in that area, I'll refer to, to audiology. Audiology, yeah. And mostly for any children, really, with speech and language difficulties, it's usually a good idea to have a hearing check just to okay. rule that out, that it's not yeah. contributing to the speech and language issue. Yeah, I yeah. think that's good advice. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Have you anything final to say now? It's been brilliant. We're delighted with all the information you've given us today, Adele. Have you anything else to... Um, I think that's probably yeah. it, Frank. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Listen, we're delighted that you could take the time out to, to come and talk to us today. And we'll definitely get you back in the future to yeah. talk about toys and play and how that relates to to yes. language and speech development because that was fascinating yeah I could have gone on there <laughs> yeah. so that's, I was off in a row yeah. so that's pull me back that's <laughs> definitely a different podcast we'll yeah. do that in the future so thanks very much again Adele for coming in to talk to okay. us thanks thank a million. you Frank. great thank Bye-bye. you thanks so much to Adele for taking the time to join us today We will definitely get her back to talk some more about the best types of toys for different age groups. If you enjoyed our podcast, please feel free to share it with family and friends and please show your support on Apple or Spotify by clicking follow or giving a rating or a quick comment. You've been listening to The Happy Baby Podcast.